Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth, your host on this, our weekly radio show, where we talk about and celebrate workplace visuality, letting the workplace speak. Thanks for taking time in your busy day to tune in. I'm really glad you're here. You know, in each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how visuality allows you to embed the intelligence of your operational system, that's your intelligence, into what I call the living landscape of work. And you do that through visual devices and visual systems. You install the details of the current level of enterprise excellence, even if you're not quite as excellent as you wish you would be or as you know you will be, you install them into the physical environment, the physical work environment. Whether you work in a factory, a hospital, office, open pit mine, it doesn't matter, the details of work. And why do we do it? We do it for the stunning bottom line results, safety, cost, quality, productivity, on-time delivery. They're really dazzling. And we do it for the splendid cultural alignment that happens when you liberate information, you liberate the human will. And we enjoy ourselves at work, we enjoy ourselves in the conversion process, and we enjoy ourselves as we perform the tasks that we've been given to do. Whether we are an operator or a CEO, visuality is the language of your company, made physical and made available at a glance. We let the workplace speak, so welcome, welcome. I'm going to begin and in beginning continue our discussion about the eight building blocks and we will complete that today. But I also want to remind you to send your comments and your questions to radio at visualworkplace.com or you can do that through our website visualworkplace.com. Either way, we would love to hear from you. You are a part of this and you are a part of letting the workplace speak. So thank you. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> I'm really thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be sharing this knowledge. I've been collecting it and using it and teaching it for 30, 35 years. Who's counting anymore? For a really long time. And I love being in touch with you and sharing this. So let's get back to the eight building blocks. You probably can repeat them back to me right now yourself because <laughs> we've spent, this is our third show. But the eight building blocks are simply these eight, and the order matters somewhat. The first one does matter, the whole paradigm, the whole model of workplace visuality that I've been developing all these years is anchored in the first building block, which is eye-driven. I'll scan these in a moment. The second is standards. The third is six core questions. The fourth is information deficits. The fifth is motion Sixth work, seventh value field, and eighth motion metrics. These are the eight elements. These are the starting points. This is the basis, the building blocks of the thinking. This is the architecture of visual conversion. And they work on every level. They work for operators, machinists. They work for CEOs, the same building blocks. They work for planners and marketeers. They work in hospitals. They work in factories. So please think of your workplace and think about how to apply. There are some tools or some takeaways, definitely, during our discussion. But mostly I want you to get that this is the architecture of what I call visual thinking. Okay? So the first building block, I-driven, the anchor, The two driving questions, what do I need to know? What do I need to share? And the emphasis that I put there is it doesn't say what do we need to know or what do we need to share. Ultimately, contribution, performance, improvement does come down to the individual and the individual working in a team a team of individuals. We want to strengthen that eye. That eye could be the eye in your head, but it actually in this discussion is the eye 
of the individual, the pronoun I. Mm-hmm. I-driven means self-driven. This is self-driven when people engage in workplace visuality, according to my methodology at any rate, they are learning all the time and they're learning to think. They're learning to see. They're learning to do differently. They define problems differently. They look for different triggers of problems than are normally looked for. And in visuality, the problems come from the informational landscape. Sometimes it doesn't exist. Sometimes it's inaccurate. Sometimes it's there, but you have to dig for it. Maybe it's incomplete. Maybe it's late. Maybe it contradicts itself. Maybe you have to go to people in order to get the answers to the simplest questions you have. So the experience of this person called the I as an individual is of paramount is of paramount importance and on top of that on top of that we teach to that person if i'm working with a ceo believe me i'm getting to know him or her i'm getting to know the way her mind works how she conceives of her job and then i bring the architecture of visuality in to strengthen what is strong in her already and to make up for any kinds of deficits or deficiencies in thinking, weaknesses in thinking, or pieces that get in the way. Visuality does that. Visuality becomes the teacher. And who does it teach? It teaches the I. It's a relationship between our need for information and the automatic, the natural pull there is, I need information. And that information can educate, it can inspire, it can inform, it can verify, you can validate. Our world is about information. Let's make it part of our journey to operational excellence. So that I is very important, that experience. Let me give you a wider frame for this discussion and for all of the discussions that we're going to have in the months to come. The wider frame is Naming what visuality does. In my experience, this is what it does. It creates leaders. When I work with a client, when I work with a company, when I work with the OPEX guy or gal, (laughs) and I remind them what their job is, I say, your job is to create leaders. My job is to create a leader in you. That's my work. And that's what visuality enables us to do. This is me still talking to the OPEX person. And if we keep that single outcome, because this is what I've discovered in my years of first finding the methodology and using the methodology and hoping it works as well as I envision it could work or should work, I saw that people became leaders. They became leaders because when we begin to populate the informational landscape with the information that we need to know and need to share, we derive meaning from our work and we become internally very, very strong. The stress goes and there's room inside of us to grow. Visuality creates margin where there used to be stress because I can't get the information I need to do the job I know how to do if only the material would show up on time or if only the report would arrive. Or if only I could get some answers to some top-level questions so I could finish my strategy for this board meeting that I have in two days, two weeks, two months. This search for information, this search for meaning, this search for a framework in which we can perform. So that begins with the I, with the I-driven. We don't focus on the strength of the team unless the team is made up of I's. We disassemble the teams. We say, look, let's put your teams on hold until we have well-functioning, well-formed, well-informed human beings who feel safe, psychologically safe, and of course physically safe in their work with you here in this company. And this marvelous blossoming happens. It happens in CEOs who are not known to blossom, but they blossom and they become full human beings who feel capable because they are capable. Visuality is the architecture of that eye-driven performance. People own their work because they, because it has meaning and because they've come to know it. So this eye-driven has huge 
implications, uses, applications, strength in all of visuality. We're not giving up teams, don't you worry about that, but we're making sure that the people who populate those teams are strong in and of themselves, that they have margin, they have rest inside of them for them to be able to think, make good decisions, make corrections, improve. It's like that. First building block, I-driven. So important. Second building block, standards. What's supposed to happen? Your technical standards, your operational standards, or what I call procedural standards, technical standards, ODID, pressure sensitivity, uh, required end-of-the-month sales figures, etc., the right calibration for a tool, and your procedural standards, the methods, the SOPs, the preset sequence of steps of how to rivet a bolt, how to set a feed rate, how to verify a chemotherapy regimen, how to close the monthly books, how to, how to, how to. Those two things, the specs and the procedures working together is the second building block. We are always looking to strengthen our standards. To, be, to strengthen our operational or procedural standards in order to fulfill our specification or technical standards. So that's a building block constantly in the mind of a visual thinker. Third building block, the six core questions, which pretty much capture those specs. Where, what, when, who, how many, and how, the six core questions. The old Japanese four W's and two H's. They were onto something, and we've incorporated them into the visual workplace methodology, which, of course, includes visual management, but it is not defined by visual management. Visual management, we will spend a show on that, is, is answers those questions. Visual management is about monitoring, and the rest of the visual workplace is about the performance that you're monitoring. We'll get into that. So the third building block, the six core questions – It is not enough to just make those six core questions visual, even though that is largely what you seem to be doing. You need to know more and think more. You need to notice what is invisible, and that's our fourth building block, missing information, information deficits. Isn't that funny? The enemy is invisible because it literally is not there. The enemy is missing information. The enemy, all the befores you could ever imagine, is full of what is missing. I love that. It's like I like to say visual workplace radio. That really just pleases me because it's a contradiction in terms. Everything that is wrong with the workplace is not there. That's a little bit too generalized. I overstated that. But missing answers are the enemy and they're invisible. They cause us to be busy all the time, but we can't get our work done. Not much anyway. They are invisible, and yet they trigger meeting after meeting and lots and lots of questions. And that brings us to the fifth building block, motion. Motion, moving without working. Taichi Ono created the definition, and man, I used it. Moving without working. That's what you're doing when you're asking questions. And that's what people are doing when they're trying to answer your question. They are moving, and I use this very carefully because I don't want it overused, and they are not adding value. And believe me, even if they're polite and kind, for the most part, unless they're trying to build a relationship with you, they don't want to answer your question. They want to do their own work. They might be under their own deadline. They are under their own deadline. Motion comes in a thousand perverse forms, (laughs) wandering, wondering, checking, checking again, waiting, stopping, because I can't get the information I need. I don't know when the material is coming. I think it is going to come, but when is it coming? Should I wait? Should I set this subassembly aside and start something else? I only have partial information, which means I'm kind of in a no man's land. I'm in the bardo between this and between that. But the most common and dangerous form of motion is also the most obvious and the most prevalent, and that is questions. Asking questions, answering them. And remember what I said last week, the research 
shows, not research I did, completely um, science-based research done by a scientific lab, a psychology lab. It takes us 10 to 12 minutes to recover from an interruption, any interruption, however long, however short. It's motion. Someone asks us a question. They've interrupted us. I like them. I'm going to give them the answer. If I don't know, I'm going to find somebody else who does know the answer, et cetera, et cetera, motion, sickness. And it's going to take me 10 to 12 minutes to not just get back to work, but get back to the level of focus and concentration. Okay? Building block five, motion. And that's where we ended last week. Motion. Motion is the footprint of missing information. That is what we can see. That is its physical corollary, the physical symptom of information deficits is motion. And you know that that motion happens everywhere. Take a memo pad and keep track of the number of questions that you ask and separately keep track of the number of questions that you answer, that you are asked. And you'll have a quick and dirty, I suppose you could say quick and dirty, quick and easy, quick and easy way of measuring your motion and also measuring the extent to which your workplace is not visual, the pre-visual workplace. It's so easy. I don't have to come out and do an assessment. Just have you do it for yourself and then you have your direct reports do it and then you go laterally and you say to your colleague, hey, would you do this as well? I'm collecting how many questions we ask in a given day in these three departments, in these four departments, on the production floor, in the front offices, everybody, all 250 of us, we all have a memo pad. We're going to keep track of our motion for three days. And see how many questions we have to ask or answer to keep us going. I want to know the level of visual competency currently existing in my company. I want to know this. And of course, you have to say, if you're a pre-visual workplace, yikes. It's going to be a very large number. It's going to be in the thousands. It's probably going to be close to 100,000 questions. Across 350 people keeping track of the questions they ask and answer, yeah, it's going to be close to 100,000. They're all going to be interruptions. This is the price. An invisible enemy. And the way that we find it is noticing our motion. It is physical. Motion is physical. It is me bending over, tapping your shoulder, opening my mouth, saying these words with my physical body, with my physical mouth, and it is you responding physically. We're going to have some other aids in the remaining building blocks, six, seven, eight, that will help us. And then I'm going to tell you a little story at the end that will, I hope, pull this all together. True story. So we know the enemy, we know its footprint, we are beginning to know how to look for it. Let's move on to building block six. Building block six is work. Have you noticed? We've spent a lot of time explaining motion, and that motion means, I hope I said that this in, in, in this show, motion means moving without working. Did I say that? Yeah, that's right. Oh, no. So we explained what motion is, moving without working, but we have not yet told you what working is. And you have to do this. To complete our understanding of motion, we have to know what it means if we are moving and not working. We have to know what working means. And working means, and here is the classic definition, moving and adding value. Moving and adding value. But look at the words. We must move Physically, in order to add value, in order to convert material, procedures, thinking, data into products and services that our customers want to buy. Value isn't added by accident or by magic. That is exactly what standard work is about. We don't work on the Starship Enterprise. Not yet, at least. On the Enterprise, Captain Picard wants a cup of tea, he goes to, he doesn't boil water 
nor does his staff. He simply stands in front of the replicator, a very fancy futuristic kind of vending machine, and he says, Earl Grey Tea Hot. That's what he says. Earl Grey Tea Hot. And not only does piping hot Earl Grey Tea come out, come, comes out, not only does it come out, does it materialize, but it materializes in an exquisite Wedgwood, sorry, Wedgwood, Wedgwood China teacup. The whole thing and saucer and a little spoon. Starship Enterprise. It does seem to happen by magic, but that's in the future right now. It's not like that. And you remember Q, the advanced E.T. on Picard's ship who used to irritate him so much. He doesn't want a cup of tea. He wants a pink Mercedes. <laughs> he thinks that it happens. But not in our world, not yet. In our world, if we want a cup of tea or an F-16 jet, pink, blue, or otherwise, <laughs> we have to move in order to create value. We must engage our muscles in order to build a subassembly, grind a housing check a part, administer a medication, or produce a proposal. That means work is moving and adding value, and motion is moving and not adding value. We must work, and that's the sixth building block, and this will help us. And if you haven't kind of shared this as a one-point lesson, a simple lesson with the folks that you're working with, I think you should. Because while we understand waste, we have to also understand the good side of this, which is the work itself, the work content. And I will say it is not enough to simply write it off as standard work. If you want people to dig in and help you with your standard work, give them the basis of thinking. And that's one of the kind of subterranean texts that I'm trying, that I am sharing with you. Visuality, the visual workplace, the technologies of the visual workplace, which includes visual management. These are all thinking methodologies. But that doesn't mean thinking about how to think. That means actually having a framework for thinking, which is what these eight building blocks are. This is the framework for the thinking. They're called the eight building blocks of visual thinking. Visuality is a thinking system first, and then it's a system of doing. And I want to say as a footnote, because this has come home to me a couple of times since our last show, I went to visit a, uh, a local manufacturer whom I admire a great deal. He has the best, beautiful, smoothest, happiest work culture, except for one thing. One thing is he has not given them a system of thinking so that they can think on their own and they can contribute they can contribute, I don't want to say things because that's such a overused and, and misused term. They can make contributions that are far beyond anything that he has imagined because he has already imagined and achieved his thinking because he's the boss of the plant. This is a small shop, wonderful, wonderful company. And how I long for the workforce to learn a system of thinking a system of thinking. Mm. Anyway, that's just a kind of bee in my bonnet. So we now know what work is. Work is the sixth building block of visual thinking, and it is important. And that allows us to move on to building block seven. Building block seven is the value field. When and where do you add value? The answer is when and only when you are in your value field. Only then can you add value because only then and there can you work. It's as simple as that. Your value field is a specific location. It is where work happens. And if you're a writer, it happens for me on my computer. And it happens in the corner of a, a fairly okay large office, nice office. I'm sitting in it now. Pictures on the walls and plants. But I never see them. <laughs> I see my keyboard because I'm not a touch typist and I'm pecking away at my my little letters. That's my value field. My co-value field is my brain. But if I were a machinist, it would be the machine and the material. It would be the loading of the machine, the value field. Imagine a running track. 
the runner's primary value field. No matter how much time a runner spends working out at the gym, finding the right shoes, the right sneakers, or eating the healthiest of foods, only when she runs on the track is she in her primary field of value, her primary value field. Only then is she about the business for which she has been training for years. And look at the visual details built into the surface of most any track. Olympic careers begin and end with the precision of the information built into that value field. Misplace a white line and you have a misplaced hurdle. Up or down an inch and some Olympic hopeful will break her ankle and say goodbye to the games because of that slight um, mistake. But it's the same way for you in terms of your value field. You can only add value when you're in your value field. Anytime you're not there, you know what? Anytime you're not there, you know where you are, you are in motion. You are in motion. Because motion is moving and not adding value. Motion is moving and not adding value. Motion is moving and not working. And you can only work when you're in your primary value field. So this is something you can do with your team. You can do it with yourself. Where's my primary value field? And be careful because if you're a supervisor, you have to take as a given that your primary value field is not your desk. And if you're the boss of supervisors, let people keep track of when they're in their primary value field, when they're at Gemba. This would be so interesting. There's lots of things to do with these building blocks in terms of helping us see and helping us understand and helping us move forward on our journey to operational excellence. Track your, here it comes, track your motion based on your value field. Track your work based on your value field. This is a powerful way to spot the motion that we just discussed And therefore, in spotting your motion, you will spot your information deficits. You will be able to gauge to what extent the six core questions are not answered. And if you try to do this in a team and not eye-driven, you're going to spend all your time talking about it, negotiating about what you see versus what somebody else is seeing. No, separate people and let them do this on their own. They will begin to own their work and own their motion and own the beautiful, dazzling visual solutions that they create to get rid of both. By getting rid of the information deficits, they get rid of the motion. And by getting rid of the motion, they can do their work. So here's the logic. Since motion is the opposite of work, and since since you can only do work when you're in your value field, then you know if you're physically out of your value field, you're in motion and you're not working. Now, let me just say one other thing uh, th- that you need to bear in mind about value fields. Anyway, let me finish that logic. I didn't finish the, the sentence. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. So anytime you're not in your value field, you're automatically in motion. But please also note, if you're not in your value field because you're taking a break, you're going to the restroom. You're just resting. Don't worry about it. That's not motion. That's A-OK. We're talking about when you choose to work, when you're supposed to work, when you want to work and you can't. You're in motion. Find out why. What is the information deficit? But here's the little tricky part. A little tricky. Not much. We, are, we almost always have more than one value field. In fact, we often have many. So we separate them into this primary value field, supporting value field, or secondary value field. Primary value field is where I actually do the work. Anything else, even as I need it, is going to be secondary. When you're doing machining, the primary value field is the loading part of the machine. Not the material. Separate those. There'll be a whole set of information deficits around the material that will not allow you to see what you're really doing, which is loading the machine. Another secondary value field is your gauges and how you use them. It may be part of your work. So there's a lot of discussion there. And what's important is not that you agree with me 
but you engage in that discussion and find your own primary value field and distinguish it from your secondary so it makes sense to you. But know that you will have several, if not many, secondary value fields, but one primary value field. And all work is gauged on that. This is very much Shingo's discussion about quick changeover, about internal and external. The internal part of the changeover is the work part. The external part is secondary, even though you streamline it, of course. We'll spend a show or two on quick changeover. I did it with Shingo. I I did it with Shingo. And I went to this GM plant with him. And and this GM plant, they were getting very hard with themselves so that they would pay attention to their need to, to grow and change. And they gauged that for every minute, this particular machine, it was a seven station transfer press, was down. They lost $72,000. I didn't ask about the calculation. I thought, yeah, that's a handsome figure. That's very motivational. So they're getting ready for Shingo's visit. And he says, show me a changeover. And (laughs) the forklift battery was dead. (laughs) So he had a cup of tea or sake or something. We went somewhere. And about a half an hour later, he said, nope, we're going to wait for that forklift. Don't you give me another forklift. I want that forklift. (laughs) It was a hard lesson. It was a hard lesson. So primary and secondary value fields. Okay. So that's the seventh building block. The eighth building block is something that I added because I wanted people to get into the measurement side of the building blocks. And it's called... Motion metrics, the final building blocks. Metric means a standard of unit of measurement. Um, Motion measurements, you could say. A motion metric is a mechanism or a yardstick that we use to track or measure our motion, to find out how much motion there is. You track your motions, you can do it a number of ways. We've discussed some. How many questions are you asked? How many questions do you ask? You track motion with your own eyes. You see your physical body leaving the value field and you know you're in motion. Or you can use a stopwatch or a pedometer or a frequency checklist, a list that just keeps track like a memo pad. How many times do I leave to wash my parts? How many times do I go to look for the supervisor? You separate them. When you track your own motion, you get rock-solid evidence of the level of struggle in your daily work. I'm just going to give you four examples. This is from a a group I worked with, Harris Corporation, a number of years ago, but it was so marvelous because of this particular configuration. Janet, who was an assembler in electrical cables, watched her pedometer rack up in her department 5.5 miles of of walking in a week inside of her department. Her colleague, Linda, who was confined to a wheelchair because of a deer that jumped in front of her car, she used a frequency check sheet because she couldn't uh, use a pedometer. And it showed that in three days, and you usually do this in a little three-day segment, you don't have to go more than that, even that will be shocking, but she left her value field 42 times. She hadn't realized that she was in motion at all. She never thought about those side trips as a problem, but she always felt the pressure of going here, going there, asking this, asking that. She felt the pressure. So that's Janet, Linda. Deanna, who was a supervisor in this area, kept track of the questions she was asked. By the third day, she stopped counting. She had piled up 74 questions she answered and 123 she asked. She was a really good supervisor. (laughs) 74 asked by someone else, 123 asked by her. She knew for sure that she had to get visual really fast. And down the aisle in the same company at Harris, Buzz, the lead operator in final test, 27 years on the job, he saw his stopwatch record two hours and 35 minutes that he spent outside his area, not counting breaks or lunch or anything like that. And that was on a single shift. Two hours and 35 minutes he was not in his department. And he said in a flash, no wonder I can't get my work done. (laughs) So motion metrics are a concrete way for us to see for ourselves why we can't get our work done. 
It's motivational. It's a little bit depressing. It's excellent. Really excellent. So track your own motion. Don't do anyone else's. Just pay attention to yourself. You don't have to share what you discover with anyone unless you decide to. Your motion for the time being is strictly your own business. You know, they're going to say, why? Why are you doing it? Why can't you find your, tool, your, your pliers? Why did you look for your pliers 11 times in, in two days? Why did you leave your value field, Harry? No wonder you can't get any. No, don't tell anybody. They'll just be on your case, especially if they're not learning how to be visual thinkers. So track your motion. Don't share it unless you want to. And number three, recognize that you are in motion at least part of the time you're on your job. Notice that. Notice why. Learn how to think visually. Get visual. Get visual. Embed the operational details of your work in your work environment. That's the point. So let me tell you the story. I hope I can get through this. This is about Paulette and about a team at Alpha Industries, now called Skywork Solution in Boston. They make semiconductors. Their supervisor many years ago, Kenny Bushmuck, who is a real thought leader, he's now VP of Operations, he asked me to come in and do visual just on a cell, about 12 associates. The department was responsible for a wafer bonding process. Electronic microscopes were the most important operational tool. And the team moved through, began to move through the methodology of work that makes sense. At the time, I called it visual order. They began as part of the methodology to notice and track their motion and to name their value field. Okay? And in the process of the training, we came to the moment to ask the question, where is your value field? And to a person, everyone said, our value field is our department. That's where we do our work. Okay, good, says I. Your department is your value field. Very good. So here's what I want you to do, a little homework assignment. I want you to keep track of the number of times you leave your value field, your department. Just keep track. Here's a memo pad. Keep track of the number of times and keep track of the reasons, the causes. You can work solo or you can find a buddy, but just one other person. Stay connected. There were two men who did the packing and 10 women, mostly grandmothers, who did the actual work, the fine hand manipulation that you need in semiconductors with microscopes. They were from many countries, (laughs) France, Vietnam, China, two different regions, two different languages, South Boston, a nation unto itself, (laughs) Italy, (laughs) Ireland, all wonderful, wonderful. So they did this. And I came back. I said, what have you got? And they said, well, we leave for seven reasons. And we left this many times. We pick up parts. We get a special tool. We look for the next order or we wash off parts in a vented sink. And I said, oh, great. This is great. Okay, here's, here's your next assignment. Bring as many of those reasons in, visually or otherwise, into your department so you don't have to leave your department so much. Will you do that? Work on that. I'll be back. I came back, and they had moved all the reasons. They had found, they had found visual ways to place the special tools, wonderful systems of tools, the next work order, the schedule, et cetera, et cetera all into the department except for the vented sink. The vented sink had to stay where it was. So they only had to leave the department for that reason. I said, okay, great. Are we done? What do you think? Have we done everything? Hmm? And they said, yeah, we've done everything. Look at we never have to leave the department except for the vented sink. And I said, I said, very good. This is excellent. And I waited. I didn't say anything. I was hoping, and it happened, I was hoping that somebody might Put two and two together and get 27. Bernice Santos, a bonding specialist, one of the ladies, one of the grandmas said, well, you know, you know, I've been thinking now that we've done all this work and things are looking good, I'm not certain that my real value field is this department. I'm just not sure. I think, I think, well, I think it might be, I don't know. I think it might be my bench. That's where I really add value. Bingo. Bingo. And it's most wonderful when you can do this. And it happens naturally because the thinking, the connection happens. This wonderful adaptive intelligence that we have, this adaptive mind. 
the value. And everybody said, oh, yeah, you're right, Bernice. You're right. I said, well, if she's right, then I guess we better do the same thing with your bench. Track the times you have to leave your bench. Your newly defined value field. Track the reasons, the causes. And you know what? Bring everything to you. So you don't have to leave your bench unless you want to. And they did bit by bit, part by part. They did. I came back and man, it was dazzling. So we came back. I saw the task. I said, my, my goodness, are we done? Has all bench, workbench related motions been, motion been eliminated? Everybody said, yeah, we, we never leave our bench unless we want to. Ah, well, how about if we check it by videotape? Let's do that tomorrow. I'll come back. I was living in Boston at the time, so it was really easy for me to come by. And let's, somebody want to volunteer to be filmed tomorrow? And Paulette Benedictus raised her hand. She was from France, and she was always dressed to the nines. Man, this woman looked like a fashion plate. She was a grandma, but she was fabulous, even in her blue smock. She volunteered. I said, okay, you're going to be on camera tomorrow, Paulette, and came back. And I said, let's just do, I don't know, 40 minutes or so. Just keep working. And whatever happens, maybe we'll learn something. I didn't know. I didn't know. Of course, I didn't confess to this, that there was anything left to learn. I didn't know. I was learning too. But I thought, you know, we do it for changeover videos. Let's see what happens here. And then, so they started the video. I said, okay, in about an hour, let's go upstairs and look at the video and see what we see. Kenny had already approved all of that. And we did that. About an hour later or so, we went upstairs, darkened room, all 13 of us. We watched the tape. We watched the tape. We watched Paulette. She was doing her thing with the semiconductors, the bonding process. And the video was running. She was on her electronic microscope, looking into her microscope, working away, working away. And then, and then something happened. Something happened that was remarkable. And what was remarkable about it was that everybody saw it at the same time at once. And everybody at once in that dark room went like this. (gasps) They sucked air. Everybody's looking at the screen, and at the exact same moment, they went, and you know what they saw? They saw this, something we had never seen, never knew about the value field. I know it now. They know it now. But this was a raw moment, a realization. We are seeing it in front of our eyes, and this is what we saw. We saw Paulette peering into her microscope working, number one. Number two, we saw Paulette, her arm, her hand was reaching for something. We didn't know what, but she was reaching. We saw her reach further, stretch out her hand. That was number three. She was doing her work, looking in the microscope. She reached, number two. Number three, she reached further, farther, further. And number four, she looked up. And we all went, ha, ha, it was so great because we saw her in motion. Suddenly, motion was no longer leaving the department. That was long gone. Motion was not even leaving your bench. Do you see? Suddenly, motion had redefined itself. The information deficit expressed itself as Paulette looking up. She looked up. She looked up, and we understood what you are understanding. We understood Paulette's true value field. Her true value field was the postage stamp size square platform at the base of her microscope. Whoa! Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? She could only add value, do her work. When her eye was on the microscope looking at that platform, and as soon as she left contact, she might as well have been running down the hall looking for her raw materials. 
she could no longer work. Oh, it was marvelous. What I loved, of course, is that I was learning with others. I didn't know what was going to happen. This was a number of years ago, but that was a seminal lesson for me. And it felt so good, so satisfying to see the methodology working, to see these building blocks actually revealing more. I owned them. Paulette owned the building blocks. Bernice owned the building blocks. The two guys owned the building blocks. They were using them to discover, to self-discover, to understand deeply their work. Engagement doesn't even come close to their experience of their work. Reminds me of that wonderful saying from Ono. He said, people don't come to Toyota to work. They come to think. They come to think. How do you help your people think? And once they've learned, how do you keep them thinking? How do you challenge them? They have these beautiful minds. We're giving these beautiful minds. Let us work them. Stephen Hawkins passed away during the last 12 months or so, and I was so struck by his life and his work. I was struck by his death as well. To see, in a moment of frenzy, I thought, all of that knowledge and elegance disappear. And then I talked to myself and I said, you know, that's not true. Don't be silly. You're being overdramatic, Gwendolyn. But I was shocked because all this man was, was mind. That's all he was, was mind. That's all he was. And he showed us the power of this thing. That is us, Bernice, Paulette, the two guys, me, you. And so that's what this moment has been. But what we're talking about here in our discussion of the building blocks, which is the seminal foundational architecture of visual thinking, which we'll be talking about the last time I talked about it nonstop for five years, we're going to be talking about it a lot. This is where it begins the building blocks, and this is how they work together. Information deficits, motion, turning, eliminating the information deficits through a visual device and therefore eliminating the motion, eliminating the walking, focusing on our value field. I, me, I'm doing it. Self-discovery, self-driven, self-empowerment. What is the power in empowerment? The power in empowerment is the I. It's the power that fuels Stephen Hawkins, it's the power that fuels you and Bernice and Paulette and me too. Hmm? So visuality allows us to enter what appears to be a metaphysical framework, but it isn't. It is our physical reality. And what would it be like if you captured it and harnessed it for the benefit of your company? Of course, you get dazzling results, 15 to 30% increase in productivity, at the company I'm working with now at Crown, we've been working at this for two years, they had one cell that increased by 42%, measured, calculated. Oh, and on and on and on, and on and on and on, people who are thinking. What would it be like if you brought that? What would you do with all of the time that would be freed up when the struggle went? Not just your struggle, but the people you're working with and everybody's struggle. What would be freed up in terms of time? 123 questions that I asked, 74 that I was asked. What would your supervisors do? What would they become? You know what they would become? They would become leaders. They would become leaders of improvement. Oh, there's so much to share. I want to thank you very much for listening to the show. And I want to thank you because the fact that you're listening gives me an opportunity to share this knowledge. If you weren't there, I wouldn't be here And this is the great joy of my life, to share this accumulation that goes on and on and on, to share this accumulation of knowledge that I've been gifted with through people like you. So as we go through the rest of the shows, I have to decide what's the sequence to introduce you to the model. Once you get the pieces of the model, then we can begin to take detours into case studies and, you know, uh, embellishments and explorations. We can talk about Churchill, so interesting, what an interesting visual thinker, 
we can do many, many, many things. Go down metrics and leadership and problem solving. We can do many things. But next week, uh, what I've decided is that we're going to begin a scan of what's called the 10 doorways, which is the model that I've developed in order to answer the question, how do I get everyone to do this? How do I segment the categories of visual function so that you can also, whoever you are and whatever you do in the company, you can find a visual way of expressing your work and a visual way of exploring your motion. I call it the 10 doorways, and I will give you a great deal more about that. It might take us two shows. And after that, I think that we'll move into looking at the first doorway, which is about operator-led visuality. We'll spend three or four shows on that, and that will also strengthen those of you who are looking for ways to develop your 5S if it's been stalled or you want to go further. There's a great deal to say about that. Please visit our website, visualworkplace.com. Please send your letters, your photos, your comments, your questions to radio at visualworkplace.com. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I uh, very reluctantly want to uh, thank you for listening and tell you that I look forward to the next time. You bet I do. And right now, I'm signing off. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.